we could probably all agree like stance that's wheel of the, wheels and tires is number one on, on anything i always say like the three things i don't argue with with friends is is religion politics and wheels right <laughs> <laughs> yeah wheels tires stance if you don't get that right nothing else matters all the other stuff's super important but if you miss on that there's mm-hmm. no point in doing the rest of it you know yeah, because the details don't matter at that point. If the car doesn't look good, well, I, I, I would say that you know cars need to look good a hundred feet away first, and and that's number one. How many cars do you see that win major awards that look great? You know, a quarter inch away, they're perfect. They are polished to perfection. Yep. But stand a hundred feet away, and you got a you got a circus act. Well, right? what you cars and in, specifically <laughs> would you mean that? Welcome to Oil and Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil and Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. Today's guest is second generation hot rodder and custom car builder, Rob Ida. We also take more of your listener questions, but first, it's time for On the Gas. You thought I was going to go into a jingle. I, I, was, I yeah. thought you were going there. You kind of had a little it, glimmer in your eye, like you had something up your sleeve. Uh, on the gas, who do we have this week? Who do we have, Jeremy? We've got the boys from Viper Chair. These guys actually stopped by our shop last week. Uh, father and son's operation. Great, rushes. great team. Um, great dudes. Really cool product. A uh, Kind of one of those products that makes you like kind of kick yourself in the ass. Like, yeah. Damn it. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Um, Talented, talented dudes. We talked a little bit about them briefly by accident when we were making fun of Brian Fuller in the Courtney Hansen episode. <laughs> we did. Um, yeah, he had done the ads and stuff. Um, but it was nice to finally put a face yeah, to the, to the name. Face the name. It meant, a lot of it makes sense when you hear you know, the background and why they're doing what they're doing. So, but it's a fucking awesome product. And they got some other shit coming out, brand new. Um, yeah. But I think we're going to try to get them on the, on the podcast uh, here in an upcoming episode. Absolutely. Are we going to get whole team the father-son operation because the plan chris is a hell of a cool dude I yeah mean, crazy crazy story they're wildly talented individual so yeah he's a little mad scientist responsible for a good majority of what's been created in our industry as well yeah like the machines that created it and yeah. the things that got created it's kind of like one of those how it's made stories yeah. like <clears throat> you see the thing they made and then yeah. you're like well how the hell did you make the machine to make the thing that's the chicken that's, and the that's egg. the guy that made the machine so <laughs> hopefully we get him on i think you got something in the works yeah right? yeah we're working that out so i think it'll be good but check out viper chair you can check them out on instagram they got some really cool shit um they, yeah you're you're right when you say kick you in the ass because it seems so simple and when you see it in person like they thought out all yeah. of the things yeah. Yeah, so check them out on the gas viper chair Rob Ida is the owner of Rob Ida Concepts out of Morganville, New Jersey. Rob spent his childhood in his father's auto body shop, and he and his father, Bob, built their first custom together in 1980, a Willys pickup. Today, Rob Ida Concepts specializes in building and customizing American vehicles from the 30s to the 70s. You can learn more about Rob Ida Concepts at robidaconcepts.com. Rob, welcome to Oil & Whiskey. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Our our pleasure. So you've got... Probably what I would consider one of the most interesting backgrounds out of anybody we've talked to. I mean, we've had some interesting folks on here, but 
yeah this in, the, in the hot rod industry and i don't know a tremendous amount about it other than what i can kind of channel through instagram and you know, yeah. a little bit of hearsay but you do some wild stuff and it it started what where, where did it all start for you you obviously born and raised hot rodder huh? yeah well i mean i was i was born on the property of my dad's repair shop you know so i grew up um in a body shop and my toys were a welder and toolboxes and some you know some junk cars that he didn't care about and that's uh that's kind of what i did as a kid you know i didn't i didn't do little league i didn't do that kind of stuff i just really played with cars um you know the family history of of uh you know being in the car industry went back to 1947 48 my grandfather owned a dealership for tucker and uh so he had a dealership in new york and you know obviously didn't didn't live very long you know so he invested his money had his dealership and um quickly it you know it, it dissolved and with that so did the you know the family investment so it was time to you know get back to work and, and do something else so um my grandfather and my father being a young guy at the time uh they started a repair shop in brooklyn and um so it was a repair shop and a gas station you know kind of on the corner in the city and that gave my father the opportunity to build some hot rods and, and, and race cars. Um, so he built some gassers, you know, back at the time, that was the thing to do. So blown Hemi cars, blown 409 cars. Um, that was his thing. So he built some Willys and he built the Hemi Healy. If you've seen that on my Instagram. Yeah. And, um, and that was kind of like the entry into the, you know, hot rod world. And then that was just a hobby for him. And then it, it you know, it, it came time to, raise a family and get serious and give up on hot rodding for a bit and racing. Um, so he had a repair shop and he had a body shop and, and, and a repair shop. And that's where I grew up. And, uh, and, you know, on weekends at nights, we would do something creative, something fun. And, um, we built our first Willie's hot rod together. It was a blown, a blown big block streetcar. It was a 10 second streetcar back in the eighties, you know? So that was, wow. that's a yeah, that's yeah. that's cruising. That didn't happen again until like Fast and the Furious, you know, in the yeah, 2000s. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, a whole different thing. Car, right? How yeah. was how were the that's... cops around that area with a 10 second streetcar in that era? Um, well, you know, like cruise nights. I remember when I was a kid, cruise nights were were happening, but they were much different than they are now. There were no lawn chairs and you know raffles or anything. It was like people would just show up in a parking lot somewhere until the cops came and then everybody just took off and that's what cruise nights were and it was pretty cool you know and i was like eight years old ten years old seeing all this stuff going on and and when i was watching that kind of action nothing else really interested interested me like that was the focus of my attention like that's just you know the only thing that i cared about so somewhere yeah. right in between our modern day cars and coffee and what we see on instagram of the takeovers where it's like new chargers <laughs> slamming into each other and everybody shooting. In so somewhere in between there is what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about like 1980, you know, yeah. and, and, um, and it would be, you know, lifted up monster trucks would show up and, you know, Nova's with, with, um, cool cans on them and, you know, running on alcohol, like stuff wow. that you just see in daylight would just show up at night. And it was super, super cool. And um, then the cops would come and everybody would take off and that would be, you know, the end of it until everybody appeared somewhere else at some time. Was that uh, like a street racing scene or was everybody just hanging out? Or was that like, were you guys picking up races and venturing off? There was some like street racing, but we didn't do it, you know, because 
my my father had you know his eight or ten year old son with him, so we weren't going. <laughs> you know, but it was going on. We we didn't do that. Um, we also lived ten minutes from English Town Raceway Park. You know, the famous drag strip. Um, so that was easy for us. We could be there on, on weekends, and we we would drive the car over there and drag race it. Um, so that's kind of what's in my blood. You know, Tucker's from my grandfather, and you know, and Willie's cars and Gasser's from from my dad's history and uh you know i just love that stuff i just do and, and uh so for me the willie's pickup because that was our first project together in, in my opinion is the most perfect hot rod ever you know like that's the one that really got me when i was a kid and uh so that's what i love you know i just love them i have a bunch of them now and and uh but it's it's that thing that, that grabs you you know when, when you're when you're a kid um i think is is when you kind of form your opinion or your taste and then everything kind of just grows from that. But, it, you know, that seed is... Things are imprinted on you, yeah, whether you like sure. it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I caught that. There was that made-for-TV movie from the, like, late 70s, Hot Rod. That yeah. had that Willie's Coop in it and as a kid, too. I mean, I was maybe, I don't know, 12, 13. That one was definitely yeah. imprinted. That's why I've got a 65 Belvedere. From that yeah. Movie. That isn't yeah. done yet, but... <laughs> cool movie. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. So as uh, so, did you know that early on at eight, nine, ten years old that this is like I'm not thinking about career or school or whatever. This is I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it was my focus. I I didn't really care about much else. You know, I thought if I had to make a a living, maybe I would be like an architect. You know, I thought maybe that would be cool because then I could you know design and make something because you know building hot rods didn't really seem like that was going to be a you know a thing that you could you know live off of. It was more of a hobby than right anything and, and i still believe it should be but um <laughs> I was gonna ask if that's changed any but yeah so when i grow up I'll, maybe i'll be yeah. like, but um but yeah that was that was really the, the thing that had all of my time and attention so i never really wasted money on anything else but i wasted plenty of money on cars and uh and that was always always the thing i wanted you know just over the summer my wife and i were driving i have a 32 roadster um it was it was an old gene winfield uh build in fact oh, it was wow. Our first car he ever worked on for a customer back in 1948. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, it's got a blown Arden in it. And uh, so we were driving it, my wife and I, and uh, there's a family of, of four trying to cross the street. So I, I stop, and this thing is real loud. And uh, so the uh, the father has got, you know, the, the hand of, of, of a young son, and uh, then there was maybe a, a little older daughter and a mother, and, and we're all trying to cross the street. But the young son is holding his father's, you know, hand. He won't let him cross the street. He's just like focused on that car, like it's so, like like a UFO just landed. And, and the rest of the family didn't care. But I right. said that kid right now will never forget yep. this moment. Yeah, and I just thought him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you and, essentially and, ruined that kid's life. Because yeah, now he's yeah, going to grow up and want to be a hot rod had builder. Had money. Right. He was yep. going to he was going to be an architect, and you. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's, exactly. that's like the cover of a Time magazine or something. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, the Norman Rockwell painting or whatever, and the kid. Yeah, like, turn. definitely. Yeah. It could be. That's yeah, awesome. Yep. It is cool. It's funny how that stuff it, it really gets imprinted. Just. <clears throat> The random little things that you see as yeah. a kid that are just stuck with you forever. Right. Yeah. So and, and I don't you know. It's a big advantage when you have, you know, maybe a, a father or an uncle or a family friend that grew up with cars. But how many young people maybe don't have that kind of access? And that was me. Yeah. My parents, and, yeah, not into it at all. Not into it. Yep. So you have to find a way, right? You have to find a way. And a lot of times, people in the hot rod world, and I'm sure this happens at all you know, in all different interests, but. They kind of want to lock everybody else out, you know, like you're not 
you're not in, you know, you're not in the in crowd. You don't know about the stuff. And um, that was never my attitude. You know, I, I, I see, we always have young interns around here. We have people that maybe have a little bit of an interest, but they don't really know how to grow it from there because they don't have access to it, you know? Um, so I always encourage that. We have, um, we were running like a youth group here here you know, at the shop for, for some time. Now I have a gravity racetrack that we're putting together so that kids, or really anyone, can come in and tune a little gravity race car and can go down a track and they can race and be competitive. But I like the idea of being able to share something that kids or really anyone just wouldn't have access to otherwise, you know? I mean, because I had, had a head start. I had two generations of people in this thing, you know, before me. I actually didn't have a choice but to, to love this stuff. But um, not everybody has that. And and so many good things come from the car world. You know, the, the, the car community is, is, a, is a great thing. Um, most of the people I know, I met through cars one way or the other. And, and people from all different walks of life, you know. And um, I think it's important that we share it with people that maybe don't have access. Well, what are you seeing up, not to derail too much, but what are you seeing up in your neck of the woods uh, as far as interest in learning trades and crafts and not, not just, you know, building hot rods or just sheet metal, but just getting into working with your hands young and, you know, all, all ages are, are you seeing more and more people wanting to do things like that? I, I don't know if I could say more and more, but I think that the interest is strong, at least, you know, on my radar. Um, now I hear a lot of things or I read things on social media about, Oh, the, the next generation we're doomed. And I, I don't really see that. I mean, I have a lot of young people here, that work for me and, and they're brilliant, you know, and, and they have perfect work ethics and great attitudes and and um, learning all the time, investing their own time and energy in improving their own skills. And when I see that, I'm always happy to, you know, allow that to happen here. Um, you know, some of the guys want to come in on a, on a weekend and work on a personal project or something. And I'm okay with that because if they're, if they're really trying to help themselves and, and, and learn, well, I'll benefit from that during the week, you yeah. know, because whatever they're learning on a weekend, it, it helps, you know, yeah. it makes it, you know, a more productive uh, team, you know, team player here in the shop. So I'm, I'm good with that, but I, I don't think there's a shortage of it. I, in fact, I think the industry now, um, and I credit a, a lot of this to you guys, is, is more professional than it's ever been. You know, when I was a kid, it was really a hobby and there were a few you know, a few guys making an industry out of it, certainly Boyd, you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, just love and Boyd, you know, everything that I, I could absorb from magazines or anything, you know, that was Boyd related. I was, I was all into that. Um, and he started to turn it into like a real industry. Now you guys, I mean, have really done some amazing things about making this thing, you know, legit. And, um, and, and, and we feel it all around, you know, the, the, the standard, the bar has been, been lifted and, um, and, you know, we appreciate that because now I think people on the outside maybe don't look at this as, you know, so much of a, of a joke, you know, it's, it's real, you know, it's a real thing. Um, there was a time where hot rods were worth less money than a restored car, you know, yeah, or, or a new car, you know, <clears throat> that's not the case anymore. No, you know, that's we're, changed. We're working, yeah, that's changed. It's, we're it's working on coming this Corvette. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, yeah. you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, with, with Barrett Jackson and other places, you know, given legitimacy to, you know, modified, you know, doesn't have to be just strictly hot rod air quotes. And, you know, and just modified cars done well, the standard, yeah. the standard has risen and the quality has risen. Um, and it, like you said, it's becoming 
more not mainstream, but it's it's more socially acceptable or, or whatever for like that's the TV, yeah. the social media, all of it just yeah. kind of building sure. and which is what was my point when I was asking about like your area because we don't you know we don't venture up into that neck of the woods how uh, that much but for years I mean we've all been in this twenty plus years for years we've been saying the same thing that no next generation we're doomed nobody wants to work with their hands no it's been the same thing over and over and over they've took all the shop classes out I mean you've heard it they've done symposium they've everybody's got up and spoke about it at SEMA and saying the same thing however I will say in the last couple of years i don't know if it has anything to do with pandemic or whatever in the last couple of years i don't think the workforce is there like we want it to be but the culture is is changing around that i see more and more stuff whether it be on instagram or whatever from from you know from 19 20 21 years old changing direction in, in college or even late 20s and 30 year old just giving up on that white collar career path and be like i want to work with my hands the working with your hands whether it's woodworking or leatherworking or sheet metal fabrication, the culture is changed in the last couple of years from what it was to where now, and again, we come back to that. Is it just because it's the counterculture and it's the cool thing to do of like, I'm going to get out of the office and, and work with my hands and be a maker. But I think that being a maker is becoming more and more popular, you know, than it has been in, well, in, at least at three years ago. It's like all over social media. I mean, that's all you see for the most part is somebody doing a video about this and, you know, making this and step-by-step DIY, how you did it. And that just keeps spreading and inspire, inspires more people. And yeah, that's what I say. Kind of coming from, you know, a shop of your level and the creativity and the, you know, insane stuff that you do to have younger kids in your shop, you know, being able to kind of grow in that environment has got to be just insane place to, to start your career oh, and get yeah. inspired. It's, you know, it's an yeah. insane launch pad. I agree. And, and, and that's not really just, what I see in, in our industry and, and cars um, in general, but everywhere. I mean, even even food, you know, people now look at a chef, right? And the, and the chef has this image, you know, and, 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 they're, and they're being, um, you know, kind of respected for, for their craft and not just the plate of food in front of you, but, you know, what it took to get there and all the ingredients. And, and so I, I think that people are respecting, you know, the craft of, of whatever it is that they're interested in, whether it's firearms and knives and food and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, the hands-on thing, I, I think is getting more respect than it ever did before. And, um, you know, maybe corporate America has, you know, been flooded and people got a taste for that and understood really what that is. And it's not for everyone, you know, certainly not for me. Yeah. I'm with you. So, yeah I think that, that, <laughs> You know, I think that uh, also with modern cars now being, um, you know, kind of a target, you know, legally, you can't really modify new cars anymore. You know, I mean, there's there's a there's a real problem with that. Um, but we can still modify old cars and we can make them better and safer than they ever were. And, you know, I think that's that's going to continue. That's not going to that's not going to go the other way. It can't. You know, they're not going to suddenly say, yeah, go ahead and modify all the new cars again. Like right. that's not going to happen. You know, yeah, we've, that's been, we've been fortunate to kind of live in this sweet spot that's off the radar. You know, yeah. They, yeah, let's uh, not call too much attention not, to it. Knock on wood. It's, yeah. Uh, let's not call any attention. To yeah. It. Let's just <laughs> move on to the next <laughs> subject. <laughs> yeah, we but it's funny when you brought that up, it's, that's an interesting point when you talk about like chefs and these <clears> makers. Cause you know, when you were a kid, like 
did you ever think you walk into a restaurant? It's like you know the chef's just the guy back there doing something. Like, I need my know? steak nachos. Yeah. The Chili's guy. <laughs> it just like he just needs to make it. Right. Yeah, same thing with like like a bartender. You know, Deb the bartender at the local like watering hole. You never like thought. Now you see these bartenders, and I'm watching these guys thinking like, I want to do this. Yes. Like man, if I could find some more time to learn their craft, that yeah. is really inspiring. Yeah, as a as a whole, it is it is if you can stop being the the naysayer that we've just become accustomed to about, you know, the next generation sucks. And we were just going to be just like our parents talking about how that generation is going to suck. If you actually start looking around and it has to do with, like you said, a lot of different things, whether it be social media for it's good and bad is also uh, romanticized a lot of that, that maker lifestyle, you know, of being like, Oh, that dude's a badass because he knows how to make pre prohibition cocktails, you know, and everything that's old and vintage comes back around, you know, just like, you know, vinyl and it coming back and it's the hot thing. It's, right. it, everybody kind of wants to find that thing that makes them just a little bit more special than the next guy because maybe they do know how to do, you know, some leather tooling or something like that. And, you know, they hang around their guys and they made a wallet, you know, and then that, that goes to the next thing. It's not one of those things where you hide where, like, maybe a little bit of a dirty hand or some paint on your shirt. Like, oh, okay. yeah, it's kind of cool now where you would, you know, it's the culture is changing. Again, I think it's going to take a few years before the, the workforce gets there, yep. but the, the culture has to change first before the workforce gets there. Yeah, I agree. We, we just had, <clears throat> had a school here. They visited last week. It was the uh, uh, Pennsylvania School of Technology. And so they have a, um, or uh, Pennsylvania College of Technology, and they have a restoration and customizing program um, in their school. And it's about three hours away. We're, we're near New York City. They're, they're like further, further west in Pennsylvania. And um, so they, they drove their project here to the shop with a group of students and um being in a an actual shop environment rather than a school environment i can tell was very different for them and um so we started to talk about their project and what they were going to do and um and as time went on the students start to like take out their cell phones and show you what they're working on at home you know and you start to get to realize that oh everybody here in this group loves this stuff just as much as I do. They're just brand new. You know, they're just, they're, they're just kids, you know, they're just getting into this thing now. And, um, the way they're talking, they're all in, you know, this isn't something that they're just kind of into for this year. And then they'll be doing something else. I could tell that they're all in, they are ready to work day and night on this project at school and then go home and and work on, on their own project, um, that they're doing. So when I, when I see that, I, I don't, I don't get the feeling like this is, dwindling I, I think it's 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 increasing i mean when, when i was a kid there was no school for that you know that didn't exist uh, how do you so. kind of work those kids into your shop Did you have some interns um i feel like as you're running a professional shop it's hard to take that on but yeah. you know looking at bigger picture you could probably inspire and create the next generation by doing that and a lot of shops have been a little bit standoffish that yeah you know i can't can't bring you in here we've we've been in that that position that you know, we're trying to, you know, bill hours and make a living and, you know, charging a customer to work on their car. We can't have somebody here learning on our dime, but, you know, it's, it's not the best way of looking at things. Um, mm-hmm. So how, what's your view on that? And like, He's how do just you. a better person. How do you balance that uh, with stuff going on in the shop? Well, I used to feel exactly the same way because it's true. Everything. Um, that is a distraction, you know, is slowing things down and, and it's, it's a problem. So you really have to limit your distractions. 
um, which is so hard to do. So like we have a sign on the front door, like, you know, don't, don't walk in, you need an appointment. You know, there, we just can't have constant distractions. We'll never get anything done. Um, but we, if we handpick a couple of interns, you know, if we have two here at a time and, um, you know, they can assist someone, whether it's, you know, putting the tools back or, you know, getting, getting bolts or something that's just, um, kind of watching being in the environment, but we don't expect him to work on a customer's car or produce something, but we do, um, like the fact that they're here being helpful, cleaning up is always, you know, a, a big help organizing things. Um, so th there's a place. And then if they can kind of grow from that and you get an opportunity to spend a couple of hours, maybe teach a little welding or something, um, it goes a long way. And, um, so I had one intern, I guess that was probably 2018. So, uh, he's been with me now full time for four years and now he's a big piece of the shop. You know, he, he came in as a student and now he's a, he's a big piece of the shop and, uh, his, his metalworking skills are improving constantly. And he's always investing in new tools and, and his, and his own time. And, um, and you know, number one is attitude. We can we can work with somebody with a good attitude, um, no matter what their experience level is. If you have a good attitude, we can we can find what you're good at, even if you don't know you're good at it. Or you could have all the talent in the world and a shitty attitude, and we're not getting it. You know, that that's that's just not going to work. Um, but I mean, so many people, or so many times, have I employed somebody, and and they came in saying, "I'm I'm great at this." this is my, my thing, this area, you know, I specialize in, in this one thing. And then we realize they're not really that good at that, but we'll put them over here. And then all of a sudden they shine, you know, and then we can kind of find what you're better at and then, and fit you into the team. And then it works really well. So I, I've had, I've had that probably more times than not where somebody came in for one thing and ended up being great somewhere else. Yep. And, and that's just, you know, human beings, you know, we're all, we're all, different and you know you got to kind of find what people can do and what they can't yeah the uh the attitude like you said that it's that is key um all the talent in the world doesn't overcome the 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 attitude part because it's sooner or later no matter how talented you are or how green you are you're gonna have to eat that shit sandwich and if you don't have the attitude to eat that shit sandwich regardless of how good you think you are or how good you really are it does it it all goes downhill you know, yeah. and that's just obviously the shit sandwich is just, you know, dealing with things yep. on a daily basis and they, they all come, it doesn't matter what, and the, having that attitude to realize to overcome. Um, yeah. I wish we'd have that kid that would just walk in the front door and just want to be here. And all the years we've been here, we're like right on a main street, you know, pretty populated. We got a town. We got a few of them over there on the chassis shop side, not on the hot rod. Yeah, shop it, it's been a long time, you know, I think. You just don't get that kid that just comes in with a great attitude that doesn't care what he's doing. Don't pay me. Let me hang out. Let me sweep the floors. Let me do this. I just want to be here. I just want to learn. It just, like, we don't seem to get it. I wish we did. I mean, I think I'd be more motivated to, like, bring yeah. somebody on. Or the, the one or two that after a month think it's a dead-end job and they're not going anywhere. Yeah, the staying power, the longevity of it, because, like you said, attitude is everything because it's a, it's not, you know, all glamorous. It looks great. It looks really cool on TV. The magazines are really cool. The pictures of the cars on Instagram are great, but it's tough work. It'll never show 
grinding that undercoat off <laughs> on, this, on the exactly. cover of a magazine. <laughs> That's the reality of it. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're going to come in and, and be on the power hammer the first exactly. day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cut that trans tunnel out and the, you know, that third wheel tub that somebody, some other shop put in right. that you've got to cut out. Remove that dynamat that's been on there for 10 oh, years. <laughs> yeah. So where did it happen back? So where did Ida Automotive come in? Where did your, when did it transition? It's your shop. Hey, I want to build, you know, custom cars. Where did, where did that start happening? So that was uh, when I graduated high school. Um, I graduated high school in 1990. And it was time to decide, like, what am I going to do? You know, like, we're having a great time building building cars. Um, what are we going to do? So um, my father and I decided, let's let, let's build a couple of customers' cars. You know, we, we were starting to get some interest at that point. Like, in high school, um, I was driving a Street Rider magazine cover car. You know, I built a, I built a Willys pickup from the age of 14 to the age of 17. And I learned everything that I know on that. I mean, I've refined it over the years, but the core of what I know, I learned building that project. And here's how it went. Um, I was 14 years old. My father had a 37 Ford grill. Okay. So not the most valuable thing in the world. Um, but he traded it to a guy who had the roof and back wall of a Willys pickup truck. So just imagine the rooftop and the back wall, no door posts, no dashboard. So the bottom of the A pillars and down were gone. There were no, there was no floor. So it was just that section. So he gave that to me. And, um, thanks dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, I was thrilled. I was like, oh, I have a Willie's now, even though it was a piece of sheet metal. Um, I, I think like driving home that night, we had it in the back of the pickup truck because it was, you know, it was really nothing. And, um, so we stopped at the diner for, for dinner and somebody said hey you know if you want more scrap metal i you know i got something you know? like, hey, that's, that's, that's my truck. truck yeah yeah what are you how so, long did it take to get that home get it mocked up and then set underneath that cab like on a milk crate or something and start like doing the, oh, the driving position your arm out the window. i'm sure i did it that night <laughs> yeah actually. Uh, i was so excited about it so um so from the age of 14 to 17, I learned how to, you know, earn enough money. So I had to do business, which meant like flipping cars or, you know, doing little jobs or whatever. So I had to, had to kind of get my business sense together so I could fund the project. Um, I got access to a, a, an old junkyard Toyota pickup truck and I used the frame rails from that. So I took the body off the chassis and I'm 14, you know, so, um, took the body off the chassis, took the motor out, suspension, stripped it down to basically rails. I cut a Mustang two or a Pinto front suspension out of a Pinto and, and welded it in there. And, uh, so now I had a fully finished chassis, I put a nine inch Ford in there. Um, small block Chevy. Um, I took a, a, a four door sedan firewall. And so I had the bottom half of the A pillars and a door post after the pickup roof on there and i and i made a, a a truck out of it that was you know it won awards i drove it from from new jersey to florida you know and i took a wow. bunch of trips when i was 17. so it was my it was my daily drive you know ride to school to high school i took my wife on our first date and then she was 16 i was 17. um so we were still in high school when our first date in that truck um that's cool and when we got we decided to get married i sold it I sold that in a couple of other cars to buy a house, you know, start a family. And uh, so that truck was gone out of my life for like 25 years. And about five years ago, 
I, I got a phone call um, from a woman who said that her husband was the current owner of the truck and he had pancreatic cancer. So he, when he was dying, he told her, when I'm gone, find Rob Ida, he'll, he'll buy that truck. He'll buy the willies off it. So she did, and, and, I, and I got it back. And I'm telling you, it's exactly the same as when I sold it. Wow. You know, other than some like maintenance things that they did, I think they changed the motor and you know fixed the paint here and there. But it's the same truck. You know, it has every rattle and every mistake that I made when I was 14, 15. It's still there. It's yeah. exactly the same. And I remember how much every nut and bolt cost. You know, because I had to get it the hard way. You know? And um, It'd be cool so, to go back on date nights in that thing, though. That has to bring uh, back some memories. That'd be cool. Yeah, we, we did. I took my <laughs> wife out uh, one night, and, and you know, it's a Willie's pickup, so it's the tightest thing in the world. You know, we're not. And we're, we're jammed up in there and, and she's so sweet. She's like, Oh, it's so comfortable. I remember. I'm like, it's not comfortable. But no, it's, it's great. So I have it, you know, back in my, uh, in my collection and, you know, you, you ever look back it. at stuff like this? And I guess I'm speaking from my own experience. Cause I, I'd built a 69 Camaro when I was 15 and messed around with it from the time I was 15 to 18, always doing shit with it. And you ever look back at that and be like, how the hell did I do that at that age? Like pulling apart carbs and, you know, changing springs in the distributor and always fucking with everything. With no YouTube. With Yeah, with no, like I look at some of that stuff that I did back then. Now I'm like, I probably wouldn't do that. I don't really know how to do that anymore. Right. You think about some of the kids, you've got guys in the shop that are like in their 20s sometimes that are relatively green that they don't even possess those skills of things you were doing at that age. Not saying I was like, you know, did you know what you were doing or you just take it apart and figure out how to put it back together? It always, it worked. Like I would, things would break. You'd fix it. There was tech articles too. I mean, I read, you start reading, that was when you actually had to read the tech articles back then. Yeah. Well, there's also, you know, the thing that when you're on the clock is different, right? So if you did it for yourself back then, then you did it, 10 times, you may not remember that you did it 10 times, yep. but you got it done, you know, and then to employ somebody, you can't necessarily pay them 10 times to do it. Right. So that, that's why I say, you know, like whatever you learn here is great, but you also have to go home and, 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 you know, hone those skills on your own. Like that's in you. Um, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do that all here on the clock. You know, you got to be efficient here. You know, it's not, it's not school, you know, yep. we're, we're, and that's why I said, like, I'll, I'll let some of my guys use, the shop on a weekend and they could put the hours in, you know, I didn't have all this equipment to put the hours in. I had to like earn the money to buy the equipment and then learn how to use the equipment, you know, so they can, they can have access to the equipment, but you got to come in and, and time, spend the hours. Time didn't matter back then though. Like you said, yeah. I mean, I've never even told this story. So, you know, I had a 76 Ford F100 that was given to me from my grandfather. Right. So that was what my first driving truck was long wheelbase brown on brown ugliest thing ever right had absolutely no money and we had no tools you know there was no air tools stuff. there was like hand tools at the house so first thing i was going to do at that era i was going to pull all the trim i was going to shave the side trim right so it was a dent side you know so it's got the big trim on it so i popped all the trim off well in those trucks they've got the little studs right that the clips go on so no air tools no grinder no nothing to get those studs off i hacksaw hacksaw i took a (laughs) hand hacksaw and cut every single one of those studs off of that entire truck Damn. like on in a weekend and then after i got that done then i had like well it's bare metals so had to like spot prime it and then i sit back and look and i was like 
well, now, now what? Like there's, <laughs> there's a lot to be done. If it, but then my head, like that was the thing that trim had to come off. Like this thing was going to look awesome when I got that trim off and smooth and all that. But again, yeah. I would never, I wouldn't cut one stud off now with it. I cut every single one of them off. <laughs> but I mean, a kid, as a kid, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you won't be stopped. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think there's, you know, a, a deeper understanding of what you're doing when you have to come up with ways to make things happen. And I always say, like, for me, like being poor was my education because I had to figure out how to make something happen with very limited resources, you know, and, and come up with a way to do it. You know what you want. Now you have to learn how to accomplish that. And um, and without having, you know, every piece of equipment under the sun, you know, there for you you have to it's amazing the things that are laying around either in everyday life or in a shop environment that have just enough radius to bend that sheet metal around you know to get to get that oh, yeah. trans tunnel or whatever you need to get it yeah every beam every welding tank every, yeah. every bench there's always you pretty yeah. much new every inch of the shop what radius things were right and you take it for granted like you said until you get the equipment and, the, and it's just like just goes yeah you know? It's probably the want that you want it so bad that you're willing to do stupid shit that you probably shouldn't and go further than you should to for sure to get what you can. And like I said, you don't have the money to go out and buy all this stuff. So you got to figure it out and make it work. And so it can be done. How did you make it work? You go from building your own car. Now you got a shop. What's the first customer car? What starts paying the bills? When does it turn into a real? Well, having a business. cover car at 17, I would well. say probably maybe people started <laughs> eh, taking a little notice. Okay, they took notice of that, but now you yeah. got to you you get one. They got to yeah. make money doing it. Right. Well, you know, I wasn't I wasn't alone, you know, so my father was, you know, obviously a huge part of that. And um, so being that he, you know, he had a, a shop and he had nice street rods of his own, um, you know, he was able to kind of get some attention when 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 that time came. Um, so I think maybe one of the first things we did was like a 40 Ford convertible. Um, and we took like a perfectly restored car, like an AACA restored car and made, made a hot rod out of it, you know, built a new chassis. And, um, at that time, like a, you know, a TPI engine was what we were doing, you know, and we should do that kind of swap over there. And, um, you know, and then once you do that, somebody else sees it and they want something similar and it, it caught on pretty quick. Um, and then we got into manufacturing, uh, fiberglass bodies. We were making Willie's bodies out of fiberglass for, for a long time. That was something I did not enjoy at all. That was kind of the end or, or, or a gap in the creativity, you know, because you create one thing and then now you're just producing the same thing over and over and over again. So that, that, that part, I, I couldn't wait to get away from. That was not my, not my interest. I was like, I might as well like get a factory job. You know, I don't have, sure. to, be, <laughs> I don't have to be doing this. So, um, once we decided that production really wasn't what we wanted to do, we kind of got away from that and got back into, you know, building cars that mean something to us. Everything in the shop has kind of a meaning, um, either an interesting history or some kind of personal attachment for us. There's some oddball stuff in here. Um, you know, you don't really see the the, the typical builds going on in, in my shop. It's all the oddball things. Like I, I got a, a Mercedes six door Pullman limousine, you know, like the, uh, like, like the pulp, the, like the pulp mobile sure. is, a, is a, yeah, you don't see those, those <laughs> just at any, no, no. <laughs> no, you know, uh, in fact, this one, I, I'm told belonged to the, uh, dictator of Romania huh. and yeah. So it's got a wild, a wild history. If you read up on it, it's pretty insane. Um, but we're, we're customizing it. We're modifying it for the customer. And, um, 
So that's going on now. We're suiciding the doors and we're changing all interior. What's their uh, plan with that? Kind of customer, it's a lot of suicided doors. Yeah. What kind of customer is that? Because it's, most customers have like a childhood memory. There's some connection. Some some reason they want that. He's car. probably the, the dictator, dictator Romania's some new, son. Some new country. <laughs> or the dictator Romania's son. What, yeah, what's the vision? What's the thought, dad's whip what's the thought process there? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really know what inspired him to buy it. I know he bought it from, from uh, Meekum. And, um, you know, it's a pretty special car. You know, I, he paid a lot of money for it. And it's a pretty special car. I, I never even knew what it was. And uh, once I posted it on our social media, I started to learn more and more about it, like the following that this thing really has. Um, but what he wants to do with it is, uh, it, like, if you open the door now, it has three rows of seating and everyone is faced forward. So the dictator was in the back seat. He had the nice, comfortable seat. And then the rest looked like school bus seats all faced forward. So I guess maybe it was like his, his staff. Now the, the car owner wants it to be kind of a leisure type limousine where you could have like six couples in there everyone is you know facing each other having cocktails and you know it's modern and and it's a comfortable it's a for cool everyone. idea yeah it's kind of cool um he also has like every other car you could imagine this guy's got a car collection like you wouldn't believe um so i think this will just be another a fun thing yes yeah, a fun thing addition to his his collection yeah it's it seems like man everything <clears throat> that comes out of your shop is definitely unique and it like kind of oozes your style the must, one must be your personality the one way back there in the back over his right shoulder though that is bar none oh, yeah. the 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 couple of side profiles that i've seen that what you're doing that is going to be the sexiest car ever built oh, I love, no he, he ruined I love, it you shouldn't have touched that car it's the best car <laughs> how many of those did you get <laughs> oh, we, got, we, we got a lot of a, a lot of abuse on on, on that so that's a, uh, it's an E-type Jaguar. Yes. Um, and, you know, a lot of people uh, like to quote Enzo Ferrari, you know, when he said that it was the most beautiful car ever built. The only thing he didn't like was the fact that it wasn't a Ferrari. Um, and whether or, not that's, you know, whether or not that's a true statement, I, I don't even know, but that's kind of what everybody, you know, recites. Um, but it is a great car. I mean, a Jaguar is an amazing car. Um, you know, the difference between when, they built a Jaguar and what we're doing is they needed to build a car that you could fit in that they could sell to the public. We could kind of, you know, fudge that a little bit. So yeah, the profile here is much lower. Um, the car slimmed down, the roof line is way down there. Um, so you couldn't sell a car with those proportions to the public, but for a one-off we can get away with it, you know? So, um, I think that when, when people say that's how Jaguar should have done it, they're not, you know, kind of thinking about the reality of the fact that yeah. they couldn't yeah. do that. You know, it, it, it couldn't happen. So we're making a car that looks awesome, but you know, is it the most practical or comfortable car in the world? And, uh, and, and that car, interestingly enough, I didn't design, um, I did some design work on it, but, uh, the bulk of it was designed by, uh, Jeff Allison and the owner, uh, Marcy, you know, Marcy owns hop up magazine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they actually worked that that design on that car before I even knew about it. And then they came to me and they said, you know, you kind of got, you know, the right style for this car. Would you be interested in, in building it? And uh, so I heard, oh, they want to cut up an E-type. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that sounds like something I, I want to do. Um, and I saw the drawing and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. They actually improved something that was great to begin with they improved it a lot and then that's really something i like to do i don't like to just 
cut things up for the sake of cutting them up. You know, I don't like to just move things around because it's radical or wild. I like to look at a car, decide what it is I don't like about it, and try to find an, an improvement. And if I can do that, then it can almost look like nothing happened. And that's really what I'd like, you know, for it to look natural, you know, maybe the car did come that way. If you didn't know any better, you may look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's a, a car that was produced that I just didn't know existed before. You know, that's kind of the, the theme of the things I, I do. I, I don't like it to look so radical. Yeah, that, that XKE is a car I've always wanted to do. Yeah. We just, for some reason, we never seem to get that customer that's like really wants to let you do the things you just want to do. It's a, it's a business, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, like when we're building Willys, they want you to build the same thing over and over because they like the one that you did. So they so they want one too, you know, and just a different color or something. And that's kind of what you know I got bored of with, with that kind of thing. So being able to work on any type of car um, that we find interesting is you know kind of the perfect situation for us. What's going on with the one just ahead of that? The the split window there. So that's a yeah, 63 Corvette. And, and that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about how these cars have become more valuable than, you know, the originals. So we get a lot of hate on social media about cutting up a 63 split window because it's this precious car that's so valuable. And I'm thinking, well, if you really pay attention to what <laughs> it's not that valuable. really valuable is, you know, compared to what these, you know, resto mod type cars are selling for, um, you know, you might you might take back that statement. These cars are way more valuable when they're improved. And um, so, what we're doing with this car is we're we're improving the design, at least in my opinion, um, back to kind of what Bill Mitchell and the General Motors designers were were trying to do. So when when I first started to post up the modifications that we're making on rearranging this car because we did move the entire roof back, you know, and, and we changed the proportions by moving the cockpit back, not changing the the wheelbase, but proportionally moving the, the roof back, lengthening the nose, um, people started to say, oh, now you're trying to build a Jaguar. But that's not really true. If you look at what General Motors did on their prototype cars, like the XP87 was, was the prototype to this body style. Was that Bill Mitchell's personal sports car? Yeah, Bill Mitchell financed that thing himself. Yeah, he couldn't get GM on board, so he did it. I mean, it's that's a badass move. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was a wild ass yeah. guy. Wild man. Yep, no doubt. Um, confident guy. <laughs> <laughs> to wear some of the suits he wore, yeah, yeah, he was super confident. No doubt. But he, he built that car, and and it's it's killer. And so if you if you um, say that we we ruined the classic design of a Corvette. Well, you, you might want to look at what Bill, Bill Mitchell and his designers did before the engineers and marketing department got involved. And once the engineers and marketing department got involved, well, now we needed to put bumpers on the car and then we needed to put a bigger fuel tank in it. And we needed to fit a six foot guy. So now all the proportions change to, to do these things, to make a saleable car out to the public. So they didn't necessarily improve that design. They modified it for different reasons. And again, like, like I said, with the Jaguar, we're able to kind of not worry about putting one in everyone's garage because we're only building one. So we can make a design that we're happy enough with fitting in, you know, and if it takes a little, you know, 
crouching down to see this traffic light, we'll, we'll do it. Um, and that's what we've done. So we kind of took away all the changes that were made by the marketing department and, and by the, uh, you know, by the engineers and going right back to the original design that, that Bill Mitchell and his team uh, was after. And one of the guys that I actually have consulting on this is um, Peter Meyer. So Peter Meyer, he was the youngest designer ever hired by General Motors. And he did an art piece for the 1964 World's Fair. And um, Mitchell hired him on the spot. He was still a student at Pratt. And he hired him on the spot, youngest ever, and I believe to this day, youngest ever um, designer for, for GM. And he stayed with the company until the 80s. And he was um, senior designer for Cadillac, uh, Pontiac, um, and Chevrolet. And uh, he eventually left because he didn't like doing corporate design, or as he called it, design by committee. You know, he wasn't really being an artist anymore. He was doing the things that we just talked about, you know, raising the roof line and making the car, you know, uh, accommodate more luggage or whatever those things were. So he, he got out of it. And since that time forward, he's been a freelance artist and he makes a, you know, a tremendous living at it. He's such a talented guy, but I went to him and he's, he's a, he's a good friend. So I went to him and I said, you know, I want you to look at this design and see if what I'm seeing makes sense to you. And, and what do you think we should do about the roof and the proportions? And, and um, so we spent a couple of days together on just kind of hammering out the things that he knew firsthand what Bill Mitchell wanted and didn't want and what happened and kind of the whole story. So he's been a big piece of, of, of this. And, that's, and, that car is going to have a lot, a lot of special sauce into because of that. Oh, that's, yeah. that's really cool. It's an amazing resource. Yeah. To have. Yeah, I'm lucky to have that. That one I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing because so the Jag, like I've I've always like I said I've always wanted to build one. I have, I've always had a vision for how I want that to look, but the split window, I I just don't see I don't see how to modify it. So I'm very interested to see what you do with it. You know, it'll be yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, so the more I studied it, and and the more I studied the XP87 concept car. You know, you could you could see what was done and, and why, you know, and the car became very bloated. You know, it almost looks like it's ready to pop. And, um, you know, the European cars definitely look tighter. You know, the sheet metal is pulled tight over the wheels and pulled tight over the engine, pulled tight over the driver. And there's not an extra not a lot of extra, you know, mass there. And, um, you know, the idea is to is to cut the smallest hole in the air when that car is driving through and you know, American cars tend to get bloated and big and they have a lot, lots of frontal. So knocking that down is, is certainly number one. It makes the car not only, you know, faster, but it makes it look faster. Um, and, you know, going back to tightening things up, pulling the, pulling the, in this case, not sheet metal, but in this case, fiberglass, pulling it tight over the wheels and making it sharp, not so rounded and bloated looking, helped the car a lot. And, and it was by doing small moves. And when I say small moves, it's not a small move because you're still remaking entire panels to do these things, but it's, it's a, it's a small design move, right? It's, sure. it's, it's moving something only, you know, three eighths of an inch or, or, or whatever is um, it's a lot of work to achieve that s small thing. But in the end, they all add up to a, to a, you know, a better design or at least in my opinion. Did you ever consider just remaking that car from aluminum? with the amount of modifications in fiberglass. Cause every time we've done one, I'm like, damn, I, we should just make this car out of 
fucking sheet metal or aluminum. He's got the fiberglass history though. They're, they're just so difficult to to work. You know, it's it's a, it's a messy job. It is. Uh, I mean, I've been doing the, the metal work on on this one, and when I say the metal work, it's you know, it's the steel bird cage. You know, that's in there. So when you move the cockpit down and back, all that metal work has, has to get done and then makes sense. And then the fiberglass skins have to fit over top of that. Um, so there's really only the door skins and roof that is using the original fiberglass, um, even though they've been modified and everything else is new. Uh, but but no, I'm, I'm not going to rebody it from aluminum. It's going to stay fiberglass. <laughs> Recently on Change Agents with Andy Stumpf, Andy and Black Rifle Coffee Company founder Evan Hafer discussed ways to combat the challenges facing veterans transitioning from the military. Work and sacrifice can be miserable, but the long-term health of the individual takes work. Yeah. And sometimes that's not easy. And just because it's easy doesn't mean it's good. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Change Agents with Andy Stump wherever you get your podcasts. And get the full cinematic experience on YouTube at This Is Ironclad. So after uh, you start building some cars and all that, when when do you think that you start, you know, you get rid of the fiberglass, uh, Willie's bodies and stuff. When do you start finding, did you always have your style in mind or when did you really start kind of honing in on this is the stuff that lights my candle and like I want to start kind of going down these directions? Like you said, you just kind of talked about what your ideology is on how you're building things. When did that start forming? Uh, you know, I guess I, I was very fortunate there because um the projects that that we got I, you know i always had an interest in what they were and then as far as making those modifications um you know it took a lot of patience because sometimes the customer either can't see it um and if you know if i'm having a difficult time trying to make him understand or, or envision what, what it is that i'm thinking it takes you know, an awful lot of trust, right? It, it takes it takes a lot of confidence in the customer, um, in w one that I'm not going to make a goof machine, and 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 for me that I could pull it off, and both of us that financially it's going to make sense, you know. And there's there's a lot there, um, so oftentimes I'm putting hours in, putting time in and and when, when i say hours i don't mean like five hours i mean like you know a thousand hours that i'm not getting paid for you know just because i want to do it and um you know that's kind of paying your dues but i don't think that really ever really never goes away um it becomes part of the formula which isn't really the best business decision but it's also that investment in your brand and who you are and 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 liking what you do and um you know, I'm not going to just take a project in here simply because it was here and it pays, you know, that's not right. what I'm about, you know, so I have to, uh, I have to like what I'm doing and, um, you know, and, and liking the customer and trusting the customer and having this relationship is just as important as the car itself, you know, and, and, you know, you don't want to be at, at odds with each other or have two different tastes. Um, you know, over the years I did learn one of the first questions that I need to ask is, you know, what, what is it that you want to do with this car? And so often I didn't ask that question. And I, I assumed he wanted to do the same thing, you know, that I wanted to do. And, and that's not always the case. 
Um, there's a lot of different reasons why someone would build a car. Um, and I've also learned that a lot of times they don't even know why they're doing it. And, 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 and I'll ask them that question. Like, you know, what, what is the goal here? And so many times, uh, I, I don't know, you know, like they don't really know. They just want something that's exciting and fun. But do you plan to drive it or do you plan to show it? I mean, I can make you a car that's very, very drivable, but it may not be as, you know, showstopper is something that is you know compromised in that area sacrifices to make here and there is the primary focus right exactly yeah yeah they don't they don't drive the riddler cars to the show for for a a road tour to get there (laughs) yeah it's not a road when did the uh when did the i'm sure you're probably asked this a hundred times and i apologize but where did the tucker thing come because i assume from your history that would be the absolute least the last car that you would want anything to do with with your family um, it's with the negative history that went along with it. I feel like you'd be buying those up and smashing them versus like rebuilding them. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because, you know, Tucker has a, um, you know, kind of a interesting history, as we all know, if, you, if you've ever seen the movie, um, the movie shows Preston Tucker as, you know, kind of the, um, you know, the underdog, you know, the guy that was really going to, uh, up against the system and he had a great idea and he, and he, and he was, and he was trying to really do something. And, um, some people saw it that way and other people, you know, kind of believe the press, you know, where he was, you know, uh, taking money for cars that didn't exist and, you know, and things like that. Um, but my grandfather having been an investor, his, his opinion is that Preston Tucker was a honest guy, a solid guy that had a great idea and, was a victim of, of, uh, you know, competition. And, um, and that's why he failed. So my grandfather never felt like Tucker misled him or, you know, abused him in any way. He had full confidence in Tucker and he loved the car. So he kind of raised us to believe the same and, and we still do, you know, we, we have tons of evidence in the car itself. So we know these cars intimately, right? We know what they are. And we know why they are what they are. And um, they're very crude, right? They're, they're, they're handmade cars out of um, basically practice pieces, parts that were not really designed to go on a finished car. They were, they were like a, a first round draft of sheet metal stampings that were done on Kirkside tooling. So, the, so the, the, the panels don't fit and, and nothing was fully engineered. I mean, he did all of this in like a year. I mean, it, it is a really short amount of time to kind of come up with a concept, engineer a car, make a prototype, and make some production cars in a in a factory. How many years year. were produced? Fifty. Fifty. So they made fifty cars. Yeah. And this car right here to my left is um, that was a car that Preston Tucker purchased himself. So when the government came in and seized all the assets of the Tucker Motor Company they put everything on the auction block. They put all the, all the equipment, the whole factory, all the cars, tools, engines, everything went on the, on the, on the uh, auction block. And um, so my grandfather went to the auction in Chicago, hoping to maybe buy a Tucker, but even then couldn't afford it because they were collectible from day one. And um, so this car was purchased by Preston Tucker himself. He went to, to the auction and bought one of his own cars. I think he bought two or three actually. And he owned the car for, uh, I, I guess until he died, I think. And then the Rockefellers owned it. 
so that they own this car for a lot of its life. Wait, so now we're doing full restoration. How yeah. did you get your hands on that piece? Uh, it's a customer's car. Okay. Yeah. So that they brought it to us. So we're doing a full restoration on that. And I really don't do restorations. I'm not a restoration guy, but for Tuckers, I will. That one, hit, that one hits home, huh? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about the, the Merc. Where did that, because that, I think that thing was awesome. We were talking about it right before we got on here. I mean, steering, good grief. Just, <laughs> it's funny. And, I was, and that's what was in my mind when he was talking about, you know, I don't like to go too crazy just for crazy's sake. And I want to make things look like they could have been. And I get what you're saying, because that car looks like that. But at the same time, it's fucking crazy to do some of the things <laughs> and the amount of work that it takes to do that. Yeah, uh, yeah that car well, was so breathtaking. It's just got such a presence about it. Something you're just not used to seeing. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous car. Thanks. Thanks. And, and the, um, the, the, the feeling behind that car is that it, it could have existed possibly. And, and so Edsel Ford and Henry Ford totally disagreed on car design, right? So if Henry Ford could still be producing the model T today, he would, right? Edsel Ford, had he was he was a fancy fancy boy yeah he wanted cars that were stylish he wanted he wanted to keep up with the competition number one he knew that model t isn't going to last forever you know chevrolet and general motors and chrysler are putting out beautiful cars um and ford wants to keep making the same thing so he brought lincoln and he brought mercury into the ford motor company and a lot of this he had to do kind of in secret because henry was just not behind it and not, not only was he not behind it he was against it um i heard of a uh, a prototype car that Epsil Ford and E.T. Gregory developed and Henry saw it and s destroyed it with a hammer, with a, with a sledgehammer, destroyed the prototype car. And uh, that's just kind of the, the way he was when it came to car design. Um, but Etzel, you know, he knew that the company needed to have something, um, you know, stylish, not only in their production cars, but they needed to have a higher level car too. That's why they brought Mercury and Lincoln in. So, my thought was if if you look at that mercury that that 40 merc the roof cap is actually a leftover 38 ford coupe so it's got the goofiest roof ever that stock merc has just got this really goofy roof because it was a leftover piece from a, from a ford and what they did was they made a, a convertible and then they adapted this 38 ford leftover roof cap on there made a hard top out of it. so that car is a great kind of blank canvas for a custom, right? Like the Sam Barris custom has always been, you know, perfection. It was a gorgeous car up to the A pillars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Originally. And then it just yep. the front of, quarter, they just nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and that's why, because Henry insisted that they use those roofs. So um my thought was, well, what if Henry didn't get involved? What if E.T. Gregory and Etzel Ford got together and wanted to have a new prototype car shown at the Paris Auto Show in 1939, what would it be? And they would have gone to a coach builder in Paris and they would have had this car made. They would have sent a, a chassis and a cow, right? A, a running cow over to a coach builder and he would have built a body. So that's why this car's got a very French look about it. Yeah, it's got a very Delahaye kind of vibe going on there. So that was my thought, is that maybe this would have been the prototype car in the Paris Auto Show had they done a Paris Auto Show in 39. They actually didn't that year. Yeah. There's this um, little thing going on, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard a of big, it. Yeah, big thing. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the, uh, the the design exercise there. But the car originally came to me. The customer picked up this, you know, ready to paint, forty Merc, chop top car, 
that we knew wasn't ready to paint. So when it came in, it had, you know, a goofy chop on there and it was lowered with a, with a stack of lowering blocks. It was really garbage. So we, um, we stripped the bodywork that was off, um, that was on it. We, we took it all off and we actually found the floor pan was bondoed on both sides and it was Swiss cheese in between the bondo. Oh, yeah. Somebody took the time. Yeah, somebody took the time to bondo out a floor on both sides rather than just replace it. That amazes me, the amount of time that takes to do it incorrectly. They knew sanding all the beads. They knew how to do body work. They didn't know how to do metal work. Yeah, and and the money. I mean, bondo is more expensive than sheet metal. And sandpaper and all the other stuff that goes with it. So so we realized, okay, this car is junk, so let's start over. And it, it was a convertible. It was a chopped convertible. And I said, as long as we're starting over, can we just get a coupe and we'll we'll do our own thing? Um, so great customer guy built a lot of cars for. Um, he basically said, yeah, do whatever you want. You know, go ahead. Um, so I found a car that was like in a it was like in a Mercury dealership for 40 years. You know, it was like this perfect original car. Um, so we took that in here and uh, and come up with the idea of what would what would E.T. Gregory and Etzel Ford have done and kind of went for it and designed it on the fly. You know, we did a little bit on paper, but most of it was cutting the car, moving back, looking at it for a week or two and moving it again. And, you know, kind of the slow way. Yeah. That's how that car developed. That's wild. That's cool. You're talking about the Fords. I know, obviously you're a little bit of a historian um, and, you know, kind of consume uh, information as, as much as you can. There's, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember if it was a Netflix documentary or it was a book. There was an, something video wise that I saw of some of the history on the Ford family and most specifically like the, the, the architecture and the buildings and all this stuff, the infrastructure of everything that they owned and like the tunnels that they, that private tunnels, you got to do some reading and shit on this of like from the factories, the private tunnel, like to Henry's house. And then they had tunnels from like Like his his, mistress's house. The boat, they had the boat house, right? They had a tunnel from the boat house to his, like opened up in his closet. And that's where like the mistress would come by boat, go through this tunnel and like go into the closet, like crazy shit that they did and built like the amount of money they were spending. It's wild. The stuff that was endless. It was endless money. Yeah. Yeah. A complete underground city. I mean, the stuff like in the, in the houses and like all the places, like, how they were ready to withstand anything. Like they had backups upon backups and this was way back in the day. He was a, he was a interesting cat, different guy. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy though. When you start reading like the amount of information that you could find of there's the backstory upon backstory upon backstory. I'd like to talk to somebody that knew like where the bodies were buried, you know, so there's gotta be, <laughs> oh, there, yeah. there's a book written, uh, by one of his bodyguards. I, I don't remember his name, um, but he did a lot of uh, a, a lot of like underhanded things for 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 the Ford family, and he wrote a book. Um, I just can't I'll, remember. The book. I'll have to find that. Yeah, I want to look at that. Be worth a read. How do you go from the Merc into the 930 Porsches that you did? I think those are. We saw it at SEMA. It was like 2015, 2016, cool. and that was just I think the coolest Porsche I've ever seen. It was your personal car that you had out there. And I've been following the stuff you did for um, uh, Terzich's. Right, um, yeah. Their blue one. And it's just like, it's the perfect like hot rod stance in a, a 930s Porsche and refined right. everywhere. They're just such night and day contrasts of like a, you know, like you said, 1939 French inspired Mercury to a hot rod 930 Porsche. And 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I try to I, I try to understand as much as I can about the the car we're building, and you know, and and it's it's following, right? So, like, if we're going to build, I can tell by the e, by the E type and the and the split window, you really care yeah. about like the following. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make the purists happy. Yeah, we try we try to care about like all the details that like like for instance, a, a Willie's gasser, right? So there's a large group of people that only love a Willie's gasser and don't know what, like another car, right? They don't know anything else. They don't care about anything else. They just care about that and the history of, of that. And and for them, you know, every piece of hardware, every, every screw has to look right, you know, and if it doesn't, it throws the whole thing off. You know, it, when, when, when you look at a car, you know, it tells a story and, and whether you know the history or not, you can you can kind of be feeling that that story by by looking at a car and if you look at it closely enough you start to understand what it is that's done so if we're going to build a gasser it should have some like you know raw edges it should almost like you know cut you when you walk past it. like it should be like dangerous and um if it's like overly finished you know overly polished it loses that edge you know it's not badass gasser anymore yeah. um but some cars need that, you know, some cars are supposed to be that. So we, we try to make everything as, as, um, as true to kind of its theme as, as possible. And like you mentioned the 930, um, you know, the, the 930 turbo to me is a beautiful car. And again, suffers from, you know, DOT, you know, they had to put crash bumpers on it. And once they put those crash bumpers on that car, it got goofy looking those big accordions and the big pieces of chunky rubber. And it got away from that, that, you know, really tight little hot rod that Porsches were before 1984, you know, and, um, or 74. So I wanted to get rid of those things. I wanted to, you know, get rid of those things that were forced onto the car and go back to, again, what the original designer maybe had in mind. And by cleaning up the bumpers was number one, you know, that was really an important piece of that getting rid of the, all the rubber and the accordions clean the car up a lot stance you know i think is extremely important uh, we could probably all agree like stance that's wheel of, wheels and tires is number one on, on anything i always say like the three things i don't argue with with friends is is religion politics and wheels right because, <laughs> because people get so passionate about that yeah, like, I think that's the thing that stuck out to us though like you look at that car and like you know that a hot rodder built that just because i think everything you know the guys in our industry and the you analyze things and like stance and wheel and tire fitment is so key and you see it missed everywhere else yeah. um, so you know walking up on that like you just dude this thing's got it like yep. didn't look at the fit and finish i mean the color was was pretty badass but just the stance and those you know massive uh you know, rear tires, um, sitting in there. Like you just didn't see that. Yeah. Um, they were actually old NOS tires that I found in, in, uh, in England. Um, now you can get them again. I think they, they, they started to make those tires again, but they were, um, old NOS, uh, tires I found in England. They were like, they, they were slicks. Um, I had to do a ton of work to make, to get that stance on that car. And it meant making that front bumper, um, to get the car down that low, I had to downsize the brakes. I mean, how often do you, do you want to downsize brakes? And we but find I did. ourselves doing that too. When you want, you've got a vision for the wheel. You're like, it's the cost of looking cool. Forget the brakes. We got to make this wheel look cool. Mm -hmm. yes, this is the this is the one needed for the Terzich's we got pulled up right, right now. Yeah. Mike Terzich, yeah. yeah. 
So the, that was the gray that was one kind of a, talking about the yeah the gray one was first. That was my own car, and then this this one was my replacement, and then and then Mike bought that one. So I didn't, I never really got to have one for myself. Um, but you know, to me, hot rods or Porsches are hot rods. You know, when, when you think about what happened when when um, Porsche was hired by Hitler to design cars, you know, he he, he designed the Volkswagen. Um, in Austria, they were using those parts basically to make a hot rod, and they made that Gamund in Austria, you know, which was the, it was the, the first Porsche cars. Um, so that was that was a hot rod at Volkswagen. That kind of always stayed there, and you know, the, the, the feeling of of having that kind of stance and badass in that car to me is like the perfect combination. When they're restored and they're so proper, and then you know, that's not really my interest. Yeah. I like you know kind of taking a little artistic license and cleaning them up um so i thought cleaning that body up getting that stance on there uh was was a good move for that car i liked it i'm still happy with it you know after all these years yeah so those I, nos tires uh do yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah they're they a little old um <laughs> but now you can buy new ones so that's good news they, they... yeah wheels tires stance if you don't get that right Nothing else matters. All the other stuff's super important, but if you miss on that, there's mm-hmm. no point in doing the rest of it, you know? Yeah. Because the details don't matter at that point. If the car doesn't look good. Well, I, I always say that, you know, cars need to look good 100 feet away first. And and that's number one. How many cars do you see that win major awards that look great, you know, a quarter inch away? They're perfect. They are polished to perfection. Yep. But stand a hundred feet away, and you got a you got a circus act. Well, right? What you cars and spe- specifically <laughs> would you mean? By that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you've always said so something that, that kind of rung true, like right up that alley. Like, yeah, that must have been built in a small shop. They weren't able yeah. to stand back and look at it, like physical right. size, like yeah. you know, super detailed. Everything is insane, but standing back from the silhouette, the stance. Yeah. You didn't get the opportunity to see it or you didn't have the eye for it. Yeah, yeah we've got I've that. done it myself. We're, we're like, we'll roll the car outside all excited and be like, oh, my God, get it back in. Like, like oh, that's shit. a disaster. Like, get it back <laughs> in. It's terrible. Um, so that happens. But you have to be able to look at the car 100 feet away and it needs to look good. And then if it, if it holds up at, you know, at, at 10 feet, great. If it holds up at three feet, it's starting to get really expensive. If it, <laughs> if it, you know, if it holds up at like a foot, yeah, it's an expensive car. Um, but to me, it, it, it starts there, right? The, yeah. Number one. And wheel and tire stance, you know, position, um, proportions of, of wheels and tires, that's number one. And I don't care if the car's got primer on it or bare metal or perfect paint. That matters. That always matters. Yeah, yeah, it does. We do that in the shop. We've got you know, a project going right now, and it's we're doing a lot of, like, pretty critical, like, design stuff. And... And the guy's working on it. I'm like, dude, like push this thing out in the middle of the shop. We're working on the back of the car and it's like three feet off a, a toolbox. Like, no, you're not going to look at the car that way. It should look good when it's going down the road, when you're walking towards the car and you see it. Right. It doesn't matter. From afar. It, right. Which is, it's, You got to get back and get, yeah, silhouette lines. And, and you all should that. never have to talk yourself into the fact that it looks good. If you have to talk yourself into it, that it, it doesn't look, look good. good you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You better keep polishing it. (laughs) So what's, uh, what's the plan? Which, what are you going to have first? The, uh, E-type or the vet? 
I'd like to actually have them done around the same time, if possible. Well, but, look at you. <laughs> well, hey, you know, there's a lot, a lot of factors there. Not only is it building the car, but you know we're dealing with clients and you know and, and you know business and money. Um, so all those things are you know not always in my control. Um, but ideally, it would be great to have both of those cars at the same time because I think that they're similar in some ways. You know, they're going to look like they came from this similar time frame. Um, they're going to both be, you know, a, a little, a little edgy, you know, especially the Corvette, you know, I don't want, I don't want the Corvette to be too polished. You know, it shouldn't be. Um, Are you going to so, take that to an NMCA, a whatever show? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Is that a, is I that think like, that's like, that's like the, Corvette. the Carlisle Corvette? Yeah. Like whatever the, or yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. I don't think we'll be welcome there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it would be cool to see them both together, you know, because they, they they share some similarity. Yeah, they do similar, I mean, same era cars, and they do have a lot of things. I always kind of group those cars together for some mm. reason. There's something about them. That... Yeah. And they could have been on the track at the same time. This is yeah. true. So we come to the time where we start asking some of the standard questions. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast ever before. Uh, if not, that's okay. It's usually better that way. Uh <laughs> The, uh, some of the standard questions we ask every single guest is your very first, what was your very first car? And give us a story about that car. We touched on that. Yeah, we talked about the first car, right? Was it? Well, no, that was actually my second car. Okay. My, my first car was a 65, uh, Pontiac Le Mans. And, uh, so I was 11 years old and, um, my father had a tow service. So sometimes he would, you know, just tow cars in. And this one was was a like a project car that was left in someone's garage. The long block was in the car. This, the intake manifold and cylinder heads were in the trunk. Um, but otherwise, it was like a pretty complete car. And um, so this would have been like in eighty, I guess eighty three, right? So I was eleven, and um, so it was free. So he said, "You can have it." You 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 know. So he said, "You can." put the engine together yourself and make it run. So I did, you know, I needed some help because there was 11s, but I needed some help to lift the cylinder heads, you know, but other than that, I put it all together myself and, and I got it up and running and I painted it and, um, and then I sold it and I started the Willys pickup when I was 14. That's Sweet. wild. At 11, I'm trying to get it. My son's 11, you know, and, but sometimes he has like a hard time getting dressed or getting in the shower, <laughs> <laughs> building an engine. And Tying his running. shoes. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was no tolerance for that. Yeah, I, I, no. You know, I had to earn it. We're working on it. I want to add one new one into the list. We kind of touched back at the beginning, but um, you've got such a wide, uh, eclectic style. What are one or two or three cars that really inspired you to kind of get your style? Or, you know, what, what were a couple of cars that stuck out that just imprinted? Well, I mean, I can remember the day I discovered cars. Now, as I said, you know, my father had a repair shop when I was a kid, but he wasn't really doing anything hot rod or race car wise. It was just, you know, business. Um, his hobby at the time was uh, horses. He got into horses. So he wasn't even talking about anything with hot rods. And, and uh, so one day I found his old scrapbook and I found the picture of the Hemi Healy, which I mentioned earlier, which is a yeah. 65 Austin Healey with a big blown Hemi hanging out the top and it was a gasser. So I saw a picture of that on its rear bumper doing a wheel stand. And from that moment forward, I was focused on cars. Like I didn't care about 
horses or anything else that he was into. Like it was just that. Like that's the only thing I care about. Let's build something to do wheelies yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. So that car did it for me. Yep. And and I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, it was it was so impactful to me. Yeah, thinking of that, that's that's an interesting question. It's a good really, question. You never really think about what's that first car that like hooked you, but looking at the the split window behind you, remember that you had a split window matchbox car and it had the rear yeah, axle. Yeah. That you pull it down. That was, a, that was a California Customs. Jack yeah, it up. and to yeah. me that was like the coolest thing because it was like the first thing I ever modified. Like change, like you change, you change the ride height, stuff. and it yes. instantly looked like more aggressive and really cool. Mm-hmm. I think Bobby Elloway was behind those. Yeah, <laughs> the, the <laughs> Elloway edition. <laughs> with, Bobby never stopped doing that with you know? brand new Elloway <laughs> rake. Best piece of advice that you've ever received. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Huh? Best piece of advice. I mean, I get. I get advice all the time and I need it. Um, I, I, I have some really great people in my life. I have some, some people that I can, I can go to with certain questions, things that, you know, I know that maybe this isn't the question for this guy, but I should go to that guy, you know, and I'm very fortunate to have that in my life. So I have some great friends, um, but an actual piece of advice that I've been given, um, I, I don't know. Nothing. Nothing's ringing a bell there. I just get a lot of it, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm all ears. I mean, I'm all ears when, when it comes to guys with experience and wisdom. All ears. Yeah, I mean that that in itself is good advice right there. Is you know when you've got we're surrounded by unbelievable, like accomplished guys that have had awesome careers, and just opening your ears and listening to what they have to say really helps kind of build you, steer you. Oh yeah, get a lot out of that. Yeah. I mean, this business will, it'll, it'll put you on your ass a lot. It's, it's tough. I mean, you guys know it's, it's not, it's not easy, especially when you're, when you're trying to do something that is a little bit un, unknown, you know, you, you, you take on a project like this, you don't have it blueprinted from beginning to end. You know, every single thing you're doing has never been done before. It that's shouldn't a, be done. That's exactly. why we're doing it. Yeah. yeah. Right. All the way. Yeah. And that's the other thing. The very end. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't be done. And, and that's the thing when, when you get out of, you know, kind of our little circle here and you go to speak to somebody, you know, I always say like, how are you going to explain this to a jury? You know, what, <laughs> what, oh, you made a car that you can't fit in and, you know, and you can't, you can't drive it and, and, and you took the bumpers off it. Like, well, yeah, look, at, look how cool like, it looks. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no windshield wipers. What do you do when it rains? Yeah, no windshield wipers, right? And, and, but they, and look, how much they look like shit. They got to come right. off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And none of that makes any sense to anybody who's kind of out of this thing. And, um, and that could be a problem. You know, you have to, uh, you know, make sense of this stuff sometimes and it's hard to do. Yeah. It seems like that. For me, that ends up like you apply it in everything you do in life, which is sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing, mm-hmm. because you're so used to overcoming things that shouldn't be done and coming up with solutions that don't exist or creating things that don't exist to fix the thing that didn't exist that you're trying to fix, right. that you treat a lot of things that way. It's great when you're working with like a contractor or something that's maybe doing something right. at your house. Well, when they're telling you, I can't do that. You're like, you're like, oh, yeah, you can. What no, do you you, you do, do this that? right here, right there, <laughs> and you do that. And they look at you like you got three heads. Podcast table right here. We couldn't buy a table. We couldn't use microphones. We couldn't use microphone stands. We had to. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. We could have bought something back there. We had to make that. It's almost kind of a curse. It is. But like you said, it's the, it's the only thing you, you were not having to figure out any of that stuff when you were reproducing those Willie's bodies. 
you had you had struggles and you had stuff like that, but at the same time, it was pretty much when you woke up in the morning, you knew what you would be doing that day. Yeah. You know, you might have to overcome individual little small hurdles, but not the recreating Tangelo Pearl again, recreating something from scratch every single day. And that's that was the easy part, and it also killed your soul, and you could not right. do it any longer. And you know, yeah, I hated it. I absolutely hated that. So I'd all like to of the point things, out the fact that we have a whole chassis shop. Yes, we do. Yeah. But all of the things, even that we like, we, yeah, we're doing a lot of creative, different stuff. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's funny. Like you said, when some, when the monotony sets in, that's, you want to start doing something crazy and then you bitch about those problems that you're having to do with because you want to do something crazy. You know, it's an art form and there's lots of starving artists out there and, you know, yeah, we're and crazy ones. Yeah. yeah. So we're fortunate enough to be able to, you know, do it, get through it, get paid for it. Um, and you know, have a product in the end that you're, that you're proud of. Right. Absolutely. What are some things in the end? This could be trends. This could be directions. This could be, and you're not really worried about trends, but I mean, you know, culture in the industry, what are some things in the industry that you would like to see uh, go away forever? Um, and some things that you would like to see uh, maybe make a resurgence or even take a new direction? Well, what, you know, one thing that's probably never going to change because it's, it's more about human nature than it is um, our industry. But, you know, the, um, the idea that, you know, traditional cars are the only way to build a car, you know, and those guys, you know, seem to have their, you know, their rules in place. And if we don't follow their rules, they get upset. Um, <clears throat> I respect their rules. You know, I, I like those cars. I, I own cars like that. I build stuff like that. But I, I don't only want to do that. You know, I want to have a, a much wider range of, of interest. Um, so I can't really say that that's an industry thing. That's more of a, of, of a human nature thing. But sometimes it stops creativity in other ways. Now, in the 90s, when people were building cars in the 90s, everybody was doing something different. You know, it was weird. Everybody was trying to just make stuff. And now that's looked back on as such a bad time in, in hot routing. And I don't see it that way. I, I think it was, a, it was an exciting time. Um, and I think it will get respect again at, some point and and hopefully sooner than later because a lot of those cars that you look at they're like hidden away forever now like you never really get to see them um you can really go there and see that guys were thinking you know guys really were thinking and they were making stuff a lot of it was done at home which is fine oh when little john says you know what i think i can machine a wheel i'll yeah. just i'll just machine one and that's going to be the thing that holds the air uh, in the t with the tires and what and I drive on road, and yeah. go down the road. I think I'm just going to machine those. That's yeah. Th that's from that '90s mentality of like, I can yeah. uh, just do it. Yeah. There was a lot of innovation then because there, those things just didn't exist. I mean, even like a, a billet line clamp. You look at some of those '90s cars that have like very squared off. You know, not a lot of like chamfered or radiused edges, but everything was like machined, maybe anodized. But that wasn't a product. That was something that somebody made. Yeah, they had to hold the line there somewhere, right, on their smooth boxed frame rail. You know. Yeah, I, I think those cars, you know, will start to get respected again, and and, and they should. You know, there was a lot of good things happening at that time. And the tweed, uh, the tweed too. Well, the tweed we could do with that, but, but who, who knows? It, it might come back. You know, it probably will. You know, it seems like most things come back when you know a, a generation goes kind of you know halfway through. Yeah. And people look back to something that they really wanted but couldn't afford when they were too young at that time. Now they can. That's usually kind of yeah. how I see it. Yeah, that's the change into the guards into the you know kind of the '80s and '90s stuff because that's 
kind of the generation that's starting to be able to afford some of these cars. So we're right. seeing more neon colors, probably seeing more tweed. I think we need to get ahead of it, buy up all the NOS tweed and just stockpile it somewhere. <laughs> Call Tim Strange. I bet he's got a shit ton of it down there. <laughs> you know he does. Last but not well, second to last. Uh, favorite car movie? Oh, Hollywood Nights. Definitely Hollywood Nights. Which is the <laughs> car? Are you the uh, 57? You're the Tony Danza fan, or did you like the... Well, Tony Danza is actually... <laughs> he's actually a family friend. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But even without that, I just love Project X. You know, I just love 57 on it. And that, that one scene where he raises the Cobra. That's my favorite. That's yeah. a good movie. Tony Dance. Or, or Tucker. Or Tucker. That's a great car movie, too. Yeah. Last but not least, what's in your pocket? You got to do, po- well, do a pocket dump for us. It's in your pockets <laughs> right now. That tells a lot about a man. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, you'd be surprised. Yeah. I have a Sharpie. Okay. Of course. That's a Milwaukee, actually. That's not a Sharpie. A Milwaukee. That tells tells even more about a man is the type of permanent marker. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully. Because those those actually last longer. (laughs) I have a a little bit of cash in my license. Front front pocket or back pocket? Front pocket. Okay. uh, Just that. All right. That's no wallet, just uh, cash wrapped around uh, not even the rubber card, card or the yeah flip. yeah just cash wrapped around uh license and credit cards huh. that's a rebel right there I, we haven't seen that no, he's, yet. Le- he's lean oh, really? and it makes a lot of sense he's lean mean i mean like the european tight cars i mean that's that's <laughs> everything everything's you don't want a big fat wallet yeah out he's made he's made for speed man he's yeah he's not he's not a lot of stuff dragging Get him it down. down to the bear i never level. had a big leather wallet with a chain on it that i <laughs> well, man, rob it's been great yeah, it's Honestly. Been awesome, dude. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we have to hang out. When you what you gonna go to any shows next? Mm, I don't have anything on the calendar. I don't usually go anywhere unless I have a you know Something a reason to, to go. I have a car. Yeah. If we're up in your neck of the woods, we're gonna need to check you out. If if you're down in the Chicago area, man, make a try to make a trip and uh, let us know. We'll yeah, sounds good. Out. Do you guys get to New York often or no, no? Not too often, but if if I'm out that way, man, I'd love to check out your shop. Yeah, so you got yeah, going on. Do. sure. Yeah, be great to have you. Awesome. Awesome, man. Appreciate it, Rob. Hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Big thanks again to Rob Ida. Remember, you can learn more about Rob by checking out his Instagram at Rob underscore Ida. Next up, listener questions. That's questions. From the listeners. Right. To us. We have to answer them. I just wanted everybody on the same page, so we I'm knew. I'm sure everybody appreciates That's, that. You cleared that up. Yeah, cleared that. There's right a lot of up. lot of concern after the last episode of that. Just for you guys, I know the listeners yeah. probably knew what was going on. But sense. Well, fire away. All right. Are you going to ask the questions and we'll answer? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. First question: Do you guys need someone to sweep your floors? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> we do. Yeah, and do it well. Yep. Send. Send. To info at roadshowshop.com. Please take out the trash, sweep the floors, clean the Learn equipment. Learn rod. And sweep the floors without just doing like the snow plow technique where you just kind of like hold the broom and walk with it. Yeah. It's, you sweep. tell a lot about a man by how he sweeps That's the right. broom. Sweep the hell out of the floors. Do a great job and maybe you'll become a great hot rod builder. I really enjoy when you review whiskeys that I can actually find on the shelf, like the Woodford Double Oaked, rather than the unobtainium birthday bourbon. When are you going to do more of those types of reviews? There's somebody it, listening to the reviews, so that's a 
It's right. a feather in our cap. It yeah, is. we try to get through some. I mean, I, I'll, I'd say 50, 60% of them have been, I mean, just looking at the stuff behind us, it's pretty obtainable I stuff. updated the reviews today as well, as, as a matter of fact. So and uh, going through them, um, we did, we've done a majority that are. I mean, we got to mix them in. We've got, because there's some bangers in there that are, yeah, they're unobtainium, unobtainium to some degree. I was talking to Dave Garfield about this of. Uh, Garfield's Le- Liquor <laughs> and Beverage Emporium. And Dave uh, said? Uh, no, I was saying, like, what? how many people just come in and ask, do you have Blanton's, do you have Pappy, and then turn around and walk out? And he said it's a good, good number of people that that's all they're looking for, and they're never going to find it. They're missing out on and so many. Yeah, other there's a lot of other good stuff. So I'm like, you know, from a sales standpoint like you need to have a big sign we don't have pappy but, but if you like that you should try and, and well, there's a lot of bangers that like old elk are. i feel is a huge sleeper that it should be like a, a go-to in everybody's collection yeah yep. uh that calumet 10 year and what's the other one the small batch or the there's a blend it's an eight and a 15 year <clears throat> it's fucking amazing i like it better than the 10 year myself yeah. it's amazing but uh, it, redemption it, weeded Find that one regularly. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. The problem is... It's is overwhelming. It, well, it's overwhelming. Yeah. You can spend a lot of money foolishly because Buying it's a gamble. a bad bottle. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, it can be a 40 to a $100 gamble. And then a lot of times, like, once you find that thing that is obtainable, if it's good, it usually becomes not obtainable yeah. pretty quickly. Right. So... That's like it's the, a moving target. Yeah, the old elk weeded, I'm sure that's going to become something difficult to get. But... We have pretty much, for the majority of the bottles back there, they're about quarter full. So for the second season here, we, we got to make our way back to Garfield's Liquor and Beverage Emporium. Yes. And restock. We're, what are we gonna, we're going to take all these, what's left, and make an infinity bottle. Yeah, we were going to take what's left, uh, or at least an ounce or two of every bottle that we have drank up to now on the podcast and make an infinity bottle and uh, maybe bring that out to a, a show that we're going to all be at. And Columbus, maybe Ooh, group taste testing at Columbus. Yeah. That could be a good idea. Yeah. But the simple answer. Yes. We'll try to review more off the shelf stuff. We sure. actually have one. That's, a, it's that's off. an off the shelf, but usually like a behind it's, the counter, like yeah. ask for it. You don't need to be like a regular, but they usually don't just put that right out there. What advice would you give someone looking to do freelance work, especially paint and body work or as a fabricator? Call us. Yeah. Uh, do it really well, I guess. That's that's it. And, and be very specific in what you do. I think we talked about this a while back. Like, don't be the painter, body work guy, and fabricator. Just a traveling hot rod shop in a truck. Yeah. Be the guy that's the best at the body work and paint. Right. Or yeah, but market that, you know, you got to market yourself. It's, it's social media is difficult because there's so much out there. So I think you just got to be probably very clear in what you do, putting examples of exactly what it is that you do, explaining what you do and what you're looking to do. Because a lot of times you don't know, I mean, your stuff pops up in your feed or something and it's a, it's a bodywork car if it's a paint job and you don't know if it's like, is that, a full-blown hot rod shop? Is that an individual? Is that somebody I could hire? Is that somebody I could send something to? So I think just be kind of clear with your marketing and be really fucking good at it. Yeah, it's a good time. Most hot rod shops are a bit 
overwhelmed in what they can take on. So they're, they're looking for other employees or freelance guys. So make some relationships, reach out to other shops, network. That's pretty much not having lived there, but knowing what we know about it, that's pretty much how all of California works. Just about all those guys are freelance guys. Just about, I mean, through all the different shops and bounce around doing that. Yeah. Do it and be good at it. That's the answer. Uh, how do the speed links on the RS4 chassis adjust? It's basically, it's really not far off from a jam nut and it's right and left thread and it's just kind of like shielded. It's an internal jam nut. So it's just, uh, you know, you take a pin punch and that, uh, the collar within, it's a lot like, you know, like you take a spanner wrench to a, uh, coilover, coilover, crack it loose, right and left thread. And they're usually, you know, everything's kind of free floating enough that if the weight's off it, you can pretty much take that bar by hand. And adjust it, and then lock them back down. That was an that was easy. That's probably the, the easiest question yeah. we had. Yeah. I didn't run. You get a lot of people straight. asking at shows. Though they look at it, and it doesn't look like it makes sense. I didn't at a glance. I didn't run you around in circles on that one. Like what are these other questions that I answer? <laughs> and what, the listeners appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> what qualify? What qualification do I need to work for your company after I retire from active duty? I think we touched on a lot of it in this yeah. podcast. Uh, yeah attitude, work ethic, want to learn some skill set to get started. If you're retiring from active duty, you probably possess most of those skills. Yeah, I think that's a good point is having having some skill set within that. Don't come in just completely green. Find something and there's so much like literature and resources and YouTube out there. Pick one thing and just be like a little bit well-versed, whether it's MIG welding, TIG welding, general sheet metal not even shaping but bending forming just educate yourself a little so you're not coming in like well i just this looks like a cool job i want to do this that or be willing to be you know an apprentice and not get paid a lot until you well, learn. Even, even with that come in take the time out of your day to go on youtube spend a night you know and educate yourself a little bit there's so much information out there that it's to me, it proves that you're really not that interested if you just walk in the door and are like, this looks cool. Like, let's, where can, can I do this? You know? Right. Shows you're not going to have that level of effort and involvement moving forward. Right. So, yeah, have a, have a good attitude and take a little time to little initiative. well-versed. Uh, when is Jeremy and Josh going to fight? Right I, now, if Josh keeps acting like a little bitch. I really <laughs> thought it'd be the tequila episode with Courtney Hansen. It's going to be a battle of the ages when it comes, it's, yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be a pay-per-view event, I think, when that comes. <laughs> it, yeah. That's not just like a street fight. We're both entrepreneurial enough to know that that, that can be monetized. Yep. <laughs> so despite me wanting to, like, kick the crap out of you. I'm not going to do it for free. Yeah, a couple of days a week. I'm <laughs> not going to just do it, you know. A couple of days. Really? Most days. Okay. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were getting off easy. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Yeah. So you're just mean the other days then? Yeah. 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 When it, uh, you know what? I don't think it's, it's ever going to happen. To be you don't honest think with so? You. Maybe just like a wrestling match, like a friendly <laughs> wrestling match or something. <laughs> now you're making it weird. High kick competitions. I'm not, no, there's, I'm not going up against him in a high tick, high kick competition. Uh, That's signing your own death sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. In the ear. Stretch Armstrong. In the ear. <laughs> That was a compliment there. It, Just, was. Yeah, it was. Take it. Write it down. We should start. We've got the whiskey rating deal. We should have the Josh compliments. 
or the nice things I say to you. We should it just keep be a small of... post-it note. That's, yeah, I can just keep a post-it <laughs> note right here. <laughs> just... uh, in the early years of struggle, what kept y'all plugging forward in those hard times? I think we've answered this one before, but is it stupidity? Is it? <laughs> That's what I was going to go with. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not knowing any better. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably not knowing any, like not. You're not, you're not stubbornness, stubbornness. You're not trying to, you're not looking at it as though like I want to, I'm building this big, massive business or I have this plan. I'm, you're concentrating on what you're doing right then and there. Right. It's to finish that car right? or to get it to that show or to fix this problem. So be like kind of stupid, very narrow minded, <laughs> strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't plan too far in advance. Is yeah. that, that pretty much sum it up and have wives that are willing to deal with it it's pa- it's passion for what you're doing really if you didn't love doing it and didn't have the desire to complete it and complete it to a, a level like higher than the last thing you did or higher than somebody else then you wouldn't do it you'd, yeah. you'd go home i don't i think you can't overlook the fact that sometimes all of that is encompassed the stupidity or however you want to word it or the stubbornness or the or the looking past or just working through stupid deadlines is because you've got generally you've got in your mind what it's going to look like and you're not going to be satisfied until you see it in real life, what you've got in your mind, whether it be the individual part that you're building or whether it be the entire car or whether it be, so whatever you've got, in, it's like you have to, yeah. you have to continue going until you're like, Oh, it's all right. It's, it's together. And you then see it through to completion and get yeah. the reward of what's in your head. Right. You have, you have to, it's, it's like holding a sneeze in. <laughs> I don't see the correlation, yeah. but you can't hold a sneeze in. It's, you've gotta, you it's can't. Gotta. We know you can't You <laughs> fucking sneeze like 47 times in a row. It's off putting how many times you sneeze <laughs> in a row. You walked right into that. Going, going back two not questions. On, so not on this. <laughs> not on that post. It could be one of the real small post-it notes. Yeah. I could, or I could just keep Almost like the sign here thing that you put on documents. Yeah. Like that size. Uh, yeah, we might fight this episode, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Uh, if you were to take on a European car build, what would it be and why? <clears throat> I always wanted to do a Citroen. Just beautiful lines. <laughs> No, no. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely not. That's not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go near one of those. There's a lot of cool stuff. That's hard to. Yeah, I, European is broad. It is. Yeah, it's like a whole continent. That's like everything over there. Yeah. <laughs> all of all it. of Europe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I really want to do uh, 90, 91, 92 Mercedes one ninety Evo. Just love that boxy. Shouldn't be a sports car, but flares. A little Grand bit of spoiler Tour. on it. Yeah. I think it's like the, the ultimate sports sedan. That's cool. On a yeah. chassis. Don't know what I'd do for a motor. Who'd want to do an LS, but would get a whole bunch of shit for putting an LS yeah, in it. V12 Mercedes swap that thing. Do something so difficult. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why I want to do an LS. Like it would go in and be yeah. easy and you wouldn't have yeah. to worry about that. Right. It would be LS great seven. power. It would fit in everything. But you'd have to hear every asshole on Instagram. Oh, yeah, let's swap it. You're not going to put it on Instagram. You're just going to drive it. You just put one of those giant Mercedes engine covers over the top of it that looks like another hood. That's not a bad idea. Nobody knows. I mean, we disguise LS Motors as everything nowadays. Make it look whatever you want. Make it it look like a Miata motor in a Mercedes. 
Well, they're doing that half LS thing <laughs> now, that four cylinder. Oh yeah, you seen that? Making big power. That'd be that's something you should think about for the <laughs> Miata. I was gonna go a different route on the Mercedes. Chris sent me a video of a Judd V8. It's like a I know exactly what that is. It's fucking awesome. 10,000 RPM red line V8. It's nasty sounding. It was in one of these, like a hill climb car. Yeah. It yeah. Did daily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make shit until 8,000 RPMs. Then from there up, it screams. But I said a Pike's Plake. <laughs> Pike's Place. Dark roast. Hold on. Let me turn as this you, thing off. As you stall it 42 <laughs> times trying to come out of there until you just sidestep the clutch and go. Uh, hey, what about you? Well, what are you going to build? Oh, there's tons of stuff, but on, like coming off of the, the podcast with uh, that we just did, I mean, shit, XKE is it's a car I've always wanted to do. Always. Since like early in, in my hot rod career. So I'd, I'd love to do one of those. But there's a lot of stuff over there. Yeah. I'm still in that Rambo Lambo right now. That... Oh, the, what do they call LP it? LP 200 or something like that. The, uh, SUV. The, yeah, the SUV, the truck. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just Bob, think it could Bobby be. Bobby wanted to do one of this. Really? Yeah. That'd be fun. Dun, cool. Dun, dun. I, I want to make it, you know, have a little, little travel, you know. Yeah. They're cool. Bump those, bump flares out a little bit. And, but I think you could do something really, really yeah, rad. You Would what? you sell the H3 to fund that project? I don't have an H3. H2. This is going up in value. I could probably <laughs> I could probably get some good money for it. I'd pull I all like, the appliques off first. As but. much as I make fun of you for that stuff, there's an H1 on Bring a Trailer right now, the Duramax. That's really badass. Really? Yeah. A couple more days. The H1s are fucking awesome. Yeah. The Alphas and all that. I mean, just done. Like, fucking, we've already talked about it a hundred times. Jesse James's was it's like, pretty cool. It was rad. That's sick. That's a crazy story that we've never told either. No, we mm. haven't. Tell it. We Josh. haven't told the story. <laughs> oh, you want me to I mean, tell the story? Yeah, we're, we're just trailing off. And uh, so we're uh, we're out at, uh, in Austin delivering uh, Joe Rogan's Camaro. So we are waiting for the gate to open. We're hanging out uh, for five minutes, wiping the car off. Out in front of his Out house. in front of his house. Um, you know, private little serene neighborhood. We're there for a minute, two minutes, and this lifted H1, all blacked out on 40s, comes blowing by us on this little, you know, small little back country road. It came out of the dude's driveway next door. Yeah, next door. And just, like, dusted Almost us. Almost ran us over. Yeah. yeah. He had, I mean, that thing was moving. We were like, holy shit, that thing's badass, right? Deliver. Joe, his car, uh, had a great lunch, all that. While we're in Austin, we went down to see jesse james and see his shop um hung out with him when we pull in to his house it's the same hump h1 the exact same one but it's also difficult to say hey that's the exact same one it's just another black but it looked identical so then we you know asked him about his you know what he's doing that morning so oh yeah i saw you guys out there i'm like this is opposite ends of the city you know and what are the odds of yeah it was like he was buddies with whoever lived next door yeah it was crazy. And then we got in that same H1 and ran down to the shop, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was wild. The day before, you're like, holy shit, that's awesome. And then the next day, you're riding in it and didn't even know who was in it. That's cool. It was better if you were there. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was it was just very, the story. Like it was such a weird coincidence yeah. kind of thing that, yeah. 
We're not just name dropping. It was no, actually it was, damn cool. it was a weirdo <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Oil and Whiskey with the Roacher Shop, an Ironclad original. Before we go. We need to do a bourbon review. We need to do a bourbon review. Yeah. We do. We do. We're, so we're, now we're going to do the bourbon review. <laughs> right now? Right now. Okay. So, well, what are we way, drinking? Here, so I've got to, man, I got to eat my words a little bit on this because this is Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. It is, is it a ten, seven year? And Heaven Hill Distillery, that's a pretty good pedigree. You know, that's something that's generally pretty sought after. Josh. What happened when Josh so came I, across a bottle of that? Have a Josh couple, was all excited that he I have he a got couple winner. bottles of this, and it's it's kind of it's a little bit of a oh, trophy couple, in the collection. A couple bottles, <laughs> yeah, just a few. Big deal. I don't know <laughs> if I was like eating taquitos or licorice or something the day that I tried it, or <laughs> so, just wanted to be an asshole. <laughs> but I didn't like it when I had it. So Josh was very excited that he procured a bottle oh. of this, and I just chatting his Cheerios and instantly let him know that it sucks. Don't open it. Sell it. Who do you think was more excited? Josh, that he found the bottle or you? That I was were actually being just swipe the rug out. on it. I was, as a friend, I was just telling you it's not good at the time. But fast forward a year or so and we're running out of bourbons and this one's on the shelf. We cracked it open and to be honest, I, uh, I'm going to retract my statement. I do like it. I think that's that happens sometimes for me with like wine, beer. They change. Sometimes you drink it, you hate it, and it can change. It has a lot to do with what you've ate that day and everything. So, 100 proof, seven year. That's pretty damn good. I'd say that's that's right up there. I mean, I'm, I'm going to rate that right there with the Eagle Rare oh. that we just had. And I think, what did I hit that at? A 7.4? <clears throat> Something like that. You, yeah, you gave it a seven four. four. I actually remembered something. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick that up just a little bit more because I think it's got a little flavor. It's a little more drinkable. Seven five. Bottled and bond too. Josh, why don't you tell the listeners about when it's bottled and bond? About Where when is it's bond? bottled and bond. Yeah, what does it mean? Um hundred proof. Yep. It's gotta be a hundred proof. Um and there's two other things that's gotta have happen. I think it's gotta be I'm pretty sure it's gotta be in Kentucky to be bottled and bond. Um something else. I don't remember. Do you Might remember? say on the back. Honestly, yeah, I figured. I you thought it was just a hundred because you know, like all oh, these stupid uses. So <laughs> I appreciate that underhanded compliment. Uh, no, there's like I think there's two or three things, and it was. I mean, it's. Uh, it was you know back in the day where you had to say that if you said it was bottle and bond, it was like you know government official made sure that you did those to three things. Or whatever. Yeah, we sound so, really stupid, right? Just because it should be something it we just know. Just goes to show that we're not like really connoisseurs or just like we're good at drinking it right yeah we're pretty good at drinking it yeah how did you guys like it uh i gotta retract my earlier number from last podcast on the eagle rare i feel like i was a little low i said i told you you were low yeah you did yeah you're you're correct the uh i went seven oh probably should have been seven and a half and i would go seven and a quarter on this I, yeah, like I like this Eagle less, Rare better. I like Eagle Rare better as well. I do like this, but I like Eagle Rare a little bit better. I like the flavor, but it's it maybe it's what I've ate today too. I want to go back to it. It's just got a little twang. What were you eating, dude? What did you get into? No, I just my food. No. I just today. <laughs> <laughs> Not that type of twang. I think I'm gonna give it a, a seven four. I'm gonna give it a seven four. And you gave it a seven and a quarter? Yep. It makes me feel better. 
um, <coughs> that you have I've been yeah I've been ashamed for I haven't drank it in a year because I was like well but it actually sucks. makes me feel better too because I I haven't touched it either it's well I'm glad that you feel better because that <laughs> it's really honestly I don't think it's gonna be when you and Josh fight I think it's when Josh has enough and cold cocks you yeah it's gonna be a sucker punch oh yeah I'm not. As much as I've had to deal with, I'm not coming to you yeah. fair, man it's gonna, to man. It's going to be a pillowcase full of bars of soap when I'm sleeping. <laughs> Pool balls. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to hide up here. I'm going to drop a cinder block on your fucking head when you come in in the morning. It's going to be something that's like wildly over the top. Hmm. Just looking forward to it. <laughs> Dude, that cinder block. Yeah, you know. Oh, so seven. And a quarter, 7.5, and a 7.4 for the Heaven Hill bottled in bond. Absolutely, if you see that laying around somewhere, see it behind the bar, ask for it, buy it. Yeah, just and, buy it, too, because it's a little bit of like a status Yeah, it's a little, it's a little, little it's nicer. sought after. Uh, also, before we go, we do have to uh, let everybody know about a new show that's coming up here soon. New car show. Not a new, sh- new show, new car sure. show. Uh, the Triple Crown of Roddick. Bobby not Alloway. A, not a new c- show just he, it's it's new Bobby yeah he's he's they're not doing shades of the past anymore okay. and and Bobby and Gary Case are doing a new show Triple Crown of Rotting down in Nashville um that'll be September 8th and 9th uh hearing a lot of buzz around we're going we got we will definitely be there in the booth there I think yeah. it's gonna be a cool one I think Bobby's always put on a pretty badass show um he's he's the guy um you know, he's responsible for everything with shades of the past. And, and that lifted hot wheel we were talking about earlier and, too. Yep. <laughs> but no, he's been reaching out to a lot of, a lot of builders in the industry trying to get everybody there. So it should be really the, the who's who of the industry showing up, um, trying to make the show different, trying to improve it, be what's, you know, what a lot of other shows are lacking and should be exciting to, to yeah, see basically if you're about. not, if you're not going to be there this year, then you're not, you're not anybody, you're not anybody, you're not who, cause it's going to be the who's who. Well, you heard, heard it, it like here. that. Yeah. Josh said it. Triple Crown Erotic, September 8th and 9th. Be there. What so, are the big awards that they're doing? They are doing, the that's crown? the thing. They're doing the Triple Crown. Yeah, that's what's even hey, crazy. Like you just breeze right over it. The uh, Triple Crown of Erotic, uh is the Triple Crown. So that is the best hot rod, best classic truck, and best street cruiser. They are also doing a, another Triple Crown, three. Uh, of trucks only. Yeah. Truck games coming up. Yep. Uh, 72 and up and then American made trucks through 98. Um, they're doing a brand, a giveaway of a 2023 Chevrolet pickup hot rodded by Alloways. Bet you it's got flames on it. Just guessing. They always uh, look good. Oh yeah. So it's going to be cool. Be a great show. We always, he always, like you said though, he's, the, he's the man the quality that comes out that has always come out to shades. And I think this would be nothing different. It'd probably even be better has been the top. It's crazy, especially for an outdoor show. Um, you know, you go through there and you're like, Holy shit, this is, yeah. Something about That's when you got to show up for yeah. sure. something about those Southern boys, man. They, they know how to build a car. Yeah. Well, top 25, you think like, Oh shit, you know, one in 20 top 25 is like, it's a tough, that was hard to do. Yeah. Tough one to crack into for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Oil & Whiskey with the Roadster Shop and Ironclad Original. If you like the show, be sure to leave a rating and a 
review. review. Yeah. You got to smash that like button. Thanks again to Rob Ida. We'll see you again next week.